must out on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. Well, friends, as I said, I'm excited to get going uh, this month. Um, I'm excited for what God might do, how God might speak to us, uh, some new things that God might breathe into us as, as a community. Um, but I think we need to place ourselves at, in His presence. We need to place ourselves at His feet. We need to be in a position to receive what God has for us. We're going to talk about some of those things today. Uh, but we're going to do so as we dig into the book of Nehemiah. We're going to touch on some themes that we find in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we're, we're going to see what God says and how he, has, how he seeks to speak to us in and through uh, the prophet Nehemiah. But I'd like to read. Um, we're going to start off right where Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah starts off. I'm going to read in chapter 1. And I invite you to hear these words. If you want to follow along. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, start in verse 1. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and read all of chapter 1. How's that? It might be a little long, but we're good. We, we like Scripture. Let's do this. So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brethren, came from Judah with some, of, uh, some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to, my, said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my fam father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of, his, of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your scriptures and the ways you speak to us through them. God, speak to us today through your prophet Nehemiah. God, let us encounter you. Let us uh, sit at your feet. Uh, let us soak up everything that you have for us. And let us be changed. God, we love you and praise you. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. You know, I was thinking about this sermon series. I was thinking about this particular passage this week. And, and this may be kind of a strange and somber way to start a sermon. 
or to start a sermon series. But I was thinking, you know, have you ever wept? Have you ever wept? Like just ugly, uncontrollable weeping. I mean, we've all cried. People cry all the time. We cry for all manner of reasons. We cry tears of joy and tears of sadness. We cry at weddings. We, we cry at the birth of a child or a grandchild. Some people cry when their child moves away from home. Maybe that's tears of joy or tears of sadness. We, we cry maybe at a, a sad movie. We cry especially at a, the loss of a loved one. I was thinking about this and me personally, I come from a long line of criers on my dad's side. Um, so uh, I come by it honestly, but whenever I go to a wedding, whenever I go to a funeral, all of the men on my dad's side are just weepy bags of tears. It's, it's, it's horrific, I mean, in, in a way. And all the women are sitting there just wondering what in the world is going on, you know. They're, they're doing just fine. But I, as I think about it, you know, it's, it, we often don't know how to express our emotions, and so it comes out in these tears. But, you know, there's crying and then there's weeping. You know, I tear up, but I, don't, I can't remember a time that I've actually ever just wept. How about you? Have you ever wept? Maybe the next question is, if so, have you ever wept for God's children? Have you ever wept for Christ's church? Have you ever wept, let me take it a step far, have you ever wept over the world? Have you wept for the world? Today we're going to look at a man who wept. He wept for God's people, his kindred. He wept for his city. He wept for the brokenness and hurt and injustice all around him. But it was in his weeping that God gave him a dream. And he gave him a purpose. A dream and a purpose to rebuild, to revive, and to restore his city and to restore God's people. So today, as we begin this new sermon series, we're going to look at a few of these themes in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're going to revisit the story we find there of the restoration of God's people and of the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. But at the same time, we're going to be looking at what rebuilding and restoring God wants to do in and through us here at Ozark UMC. And we're going to do some dreaming. But in the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah, we find that Nehemiah begins recording the events to follow in, in 445 B.C., so a while ago. But we learn that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the Persian king Artaxerxes. Nehemiah, as an Israelite, he'd grown up in captivity in this, in this foreign land, in Persia, and for 70 years, the Israelites were held in captivity in Babylon after having their homeland overrun and destroyed, including Jerusalem and including the temple, which was the center, the source of all life for them as a people. So they find they as a people 
have lost their identity. It's been taken from them. They were lost and alone as a people, held captive in a foreign land. Everything they knew, everything that was important to them, gone. But we find that a small remnant of Israelites escaped captivity in Persia. And they began to settle again in their homeland, Judah, in Jerusalem. And so the, the book of Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah should really be held together. Read is, is almost one book. But Ezra, it recounts the resettling of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple there. But in Nehemiah, however, we find that Nehemiah himself sticks behind in Persia. He stays behind. He doesn't escape with this small remnant. Because to be honest, things were going really well for him there. He had it made. He was the cupbearer of the king. And as the king's cupbearer, he had a close audience with the king. He interacted with the king every day. He was trusted by the king. He was highly revered. And he would have lived a lavish and privileged life in this position. But one day, one of his brethren, Hanani, returned to Susa in Persia from Judah and informed Nehemiah of what was going on in his homeland. Hanani tells Nehemiah that those who had survived the exile in Babylon finally made it back to Judah, but they were in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall surrounding the holy city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Its gates had been burned. And this is important on two levels. You know, the, the, the actual physical importance of a, of a wall protected the city from outside invaders. But the wall was also symbolic, right? It was, it was the, the reins around which God's people uh, it was the boundaries that surrounded God's people, that, that kept them in, that gave them their identity, that kept them safe. The wall had been destroyed, its gates burned. And Nehemiah, he says, when he heard these things, he sat down and he wept. He wept because the land, the city, the temple and the people that, that literally meant everything to him as an Israelite had been destroyed. Only a remnant of God's chosen people were left. Only a small number of God's chosen people were left. These were supposed to be the ones through whom God would restore all of creation. Only a small number left. Their holiest of places, the temple, the very dwelling place of God, had been completely destroyed. The walls around Jerusalem, which you know, had this practical and symbolic significance, were in ruins. And he wept because he was in Persia flourishing, doing well, living lavishly, while his people suffered. Then Nehemiah says that for some days he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And what did he pray? He prayed for forgiveness on behalf of himself and all of God's people. He prays to God, the God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
Neither he nor the rest of God's people had kept God's commandments. This is why they had been forced by a foreign pagan people into exile, away from their home. This is why everything had been destroyed. That's why there was only a small remnant of God's people left. And that is why they were all suffering. Their disobedience, you know, is the, the, the natural consequences of their disobedience. It had led to people invading, conquering them, and taking them captive for 70 years. Destroying their home, destroying their land, destroying their temple. Everything that was meaningful and important to them. And, and, and destroyed their identity as a people. But after committing to fasting and praying, you know, to, to confessing his and his people's sins, and after asking God f- for, for redemption and restoration and favor, Nehemiah then receives a dream. A dream from God. And this is where the story really takes off for Nehemiah. You know, he returns to Jerusalem and organizes God's people to rebuild the walls around the city. He then sets about doing just that and then rebuilding God's people. We're going to get into that in the next few weeks. But before any of that rebuilding could take place, he had to be open to receiving God's dream for his people and their land. And in order to be open to receiving such a huge, lofty, ambitious, God-sized dream, he sat down and spent some serious time, several days, serious time, fasting and praying. You know, I think this is where all big, lofty, God-sized dreams start. By drawing near to God. By sitting at His feet and receiving His dream for us. You know, friends, we have we spent the last month talking about starting over. Right? We look at the world around us, it's just chaos, seemingly. And we just want to start over. We just want to start new. We have this desire and need to start over, despite everything we are experiencing in the world around us. And we talked about recommitting ourselves to some of those foundational practices that God has given us to come into contact with Him in order to be changed, in order to be made new. So bringing all of that along with us, I think it's time for us to start doing some dreaming. To gain a vision for rebuilding and reviving and restoring us as a people. The Ozark UMC community. And then the broader Ozark community in which we live and move and are invested. To dream of God's kingdom made real, made tangible here in our midst. A God-sized dream for His kingdom. And to become the kind of church that God can, can and will use to make that a reality. We all know what the world around us is like. We live it every day. We all know the division. We know the fear. We know the brokenness. We know the sin. We know the loss. And we see and experience it within us and out of the community around us. As individuals and as a people as a whole, you know, we have not kept God's commands. We have not loved as God loves. 
as we are called to love. So if ever there was a time to weep, if ever there was a time to weep with Nehemiah for ourselves, for the broader church, and for the people and the world around us, it is now. As I think about this, though, I'm reminded of another person who wept. I'm reminded of the tears that are prefigured in the tears of Nehemiah. At the start of the week leading up to his death, Jesus approached the holy city, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, you know, to great fanfare, being lauded as a king. But when he saw the city, right, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, he wept. He wept. He wept for what the city had become, what the people had become. He wept for the people's disobedience. He wept for what the city and the people were intended to be, but were not. Those tears also remind me of what was to take place just a week later. That on a Roman cross, outside the city gates, Jesus cried out for the last time. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. You know, Nehemiah, he worked to rebuild and restore God's people, to preserve them and their land. He worked to, to, to establish security for all of God's people and an identity for all of God's people. And with Ezra, worked to restore the temple, God's dwelling place. But we know that Nehemiah's work, Ezra's work, was just a stopgap. Just a stopgap measure. In Jesus, that work is finished. It is finished. If there is nothing else you hear today, hear those words. It is finished. Maybe you weep over the brokenness you see in the broader church. Maybe you weep over the horrible brokenness in the world. Maybe you weep over the brokenness within you. Know today that it is finished. The victory has been won. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Life has risen from the grave. The temple has been rebuilt. God's life and presence is forever with us. So now, friends, it's time to get on with it. It's time to get on with it. It's time to be fully about Jesus and his kingdom. It's time to start dreaming for how God might use us and what he might do in and through us in our own community. It's time to start dreaming God-sized dreams. In order to receive such a dream, such a vision, I think it's time for us like Nehemiah, to commit ourselves to fasting and praying. Let us confess the ways that we have sinned and fallen short, and then move on, seeking God's vision for us. We're going to do this. We're going to do just that. As a community, and this is vital, I think this is so important, it has the potential to be incredibly important in the life of this community. Next Sunday, we're going to do a prayer walk. Next Sunday, 3 p.m., August 9th, we're going to do a prayer walk. 
Everyone is invited to come meet here at the church. We're going to be distanced. We're going to be masked. We're going to be outside. But you are invited to come as you are able. And we're going to spend some time praying for us as a community. Seeking for God to speak to us. Seeking for a God-sized dream in the life of this community. But we're also going to be praying for the broader community outside. For Ozark for Sparta, for, for all of our brothers and sisters, for all of those outside in, in the community. And we're going to spend some time praying for our schools. You know, this school year is going to be rough for everyone involved. And they need some prayer, some serious prayer. And we need to know how best to respond as the church, how to be the church in the midst of everything that's going on. But in order to receive that, we need to draw close to God. We need to place ourselves at his feet. We need to receive what God has for us. The dream, the God-sized dream that he has for us. You know, as I think about that prayer, fasting, we kind of start that process here at this table. As we gather together at this table, we're drawing near to the presence of God. We're laying ourselves at Christ's feet together as a community. And we're receiving all that Christ has for us. Encountering his presence. Being made new. And it's at this table, I think, that we, we're, we're called to confess the ways that we have fallen short. Weep over the ways that we have fallen short. But allow our weeping to be turned to joy. In the knowledge that it is finished. The victory has been won. This is a foretaste of the, the, the victory celebration, the victory feast that we will celebrate with Christ in His presence when He, when he returns. Sing along with me. We all start on the outside outside looking in this is where grace begins we were hungry we were thirsty with nothing left to give oh the shape that we were in just when all hope seemed lost love opened the door for us, he said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. liars and these thieves there's no one unwelcome here so that sin and shame that you brought with you you can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near come to 
Come to the table. 